News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, the Double Dipper, Donald Trump, floating the idea of doling out multiple endorsements in races, some of the key midterm races, because he's increasingly suspicious of his advisors who are pushing competing candidates. One source he said that uh, he feels like he's getting penned in when he has to pick just one. And uh, he gets two chances then to win. And that's what he looks at this like, apparently, is like, I'm going to. And this makes sense because he has said this right at, at speeches and the like. He talks about how everybody that I have endorsed wins. Right. And uh, well, except for you know, when he endorsed Linda Bennett and then Madison Cawthorn beat her. And so at some point, if you think about it. Uh, if I'm you know, an advisor to Donald Trump and I say, hey, you should endorse, you know, uh, Linda Bennett and then Linda Bennett loses. And then I say, hey, you should endorse, you know, Ted Budd. And then Ted Budd starts losing in the polling. Um, at some point, right, Donald Trump is now going to look at me and say, I don't think I should be taking advice from you anymore, Pete, because you can't pick winners. Right. Uh, that, it, it seems I mean, that that seems very much in keeping with uh, his approach to things. Another source, according to Politico, um, says that he's not clear about which advisors have significant personal or financial ties to the candidates that they're bending his ear about. That's a fair concern for Trump to have. Absolutely. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, you really should back this person in this race. But then they don't tell Trump that, you know, they've got some financial stake in a political consulting firm that's doing work on that campaign. Right. And he doesn't know that. And this is part of the problem. I'll never forget. Um, it was actually during Obama's. Uh, I think it was during Obama's candidacy where I, where I read about the problem that Jimmy Carter had and coming to D.C. after being a governor he did not have a lot of political capital built up. He didn't He didn't have a lot of people that owed him stuff, owed him favors that he could call in, right? He didn't know where a lot of bodies were buried, that sort of thing. And that's that kind of information and that kind of loyalty and, and more importantly, the deal-making, that's what D.C. runs on, right? So if you don't have anybody that you can call on to try to extract the IOU from, then... It limits your ability to to get stuff done, and uh, especially uh, right now where you've got a divided Senate. And I think not that Biden doesn't have those uh, those types of favors, but Donald Trump did not have those. That was a big problem for him. He didn't even inside his own party. He didn't have them, just like Carter didn't have them. So uh, you you are sort of elevated and propelled by this this narrative by this uh this biography that you're the outsider but then you are also done in by that very same thing it it is limiting and you can say that you don't like it and he's going to drain the swamp and all of that but that doesn't negate the fact that that still does matter knowing where bodies are buried in the swamp matters knowing who has control over certain areas of the swamp that right that, that matters and being able to uh, to bust it up and to make reforms and to get stuff done. If if you can't navigate those waters, then you're not going to get as much done, obviously.
And so now he's trying to play this role as kingmaker and uh, may well run again. I don't know. Um, But if you don't trust the people that are coming to you with all of their advice on who you should back, and you don't know who those people are either, it, it, it can become very difficult. And, you know, Trump is a guy that likes to play to win. Obviously, that's what a lot of people love about him. It's like he's going to go in and he's going to fight and he's going to play to win, not to finish second, right? Finishing second just means you're the first loser. <laughs> and so, sorry, I did not mean to trigger all of the millennials and the Gen Zers who are not aware that that's what second place actually means. Uh, I apologize. I did not mean to <laughs> divulge the secrets. <laughs> No, no, you get the silver. Yes, you're still on the podium. Um, another source of Trump's endorsement apprehension is this uh, this question of who has ties to whom. A few examples. Uh, you got the Missouri Senate race. You got an Ohio uh, Senate race, J.D. Vance. I mentioned him earlier. The Pennsylvania Senate race, where one of the people that's bending his ear is apparently Sean Hannity, who is urging Trump to back Dr. Oz. Okay, uh, Peter Thiel, or yeah, Thiel, the the uh, uh, Silicon Valley magnate, he's been lobbying for J.D. Vance. Um, in Arizona, he's also lobbying for Susie Wiles. Um, or I'm sorry, Blake Masters uh, for Blake Masters. Susie Wiles is another political aide uh, for Trump that is also backing Blake Masters. But Rick Grinnell. Uh, the former ambassador for Donald Trump uh, administration uh, to the U.N. and the like uh, in Germany. He's endorsed the opponent, Jim Lehman. So you got you got problems in trying to play kingmaker. Another person close to the former president said he does not expect Trump will ultimately endorse two candidates in the same race. More likely is that he will shower praise on multiple candidates or offer them some other form of acknowledgement, such as granting each a visit to Mar-a-Lago to pose for a picture with him. Um, While Trump could choose to sit out some Senate races, some in his inner circle worry that not endorsing at all could cede power to his nemesis, Mitch McConnell. The Republican Senate leader and Trump have not always seen eye-to-eye on which candidates offer uh, offer the party the best hope of winning competitive Senate races. Well, I mean, that's... Yes, that... Correct. That is the downside. Yes. If you start making picks and somebody else has different opinions about who the pick should be, yes, you are now going to be in a contest against that person. And if it is a contest, then um, you could win and you could lose. That's how that works. Or you just don't play, right? You just don't play. And I honestly think that this might be the better course for Trump to take, to just be... um, praiseworthy and supportive of all candidates that are trying to, you know, unless there's some that are like terrible and you don't want to, then you can go ahead and attack them, right? That's fine. I'm, you know, that's the nice thing. Like you don't have to make an endorsement. It is a false choice to say that I've either got to endorse, right? Or I can't enter at all. No, you can, you can take shots at candidates. I mean, honestly, like this is kind of my model. It is like, I don't think I have ever endorsed a candidate in a primary. I will tell people generally, like, when I go in to vote, like, and I'll I'll tell people, like, who I voted for. If people ask me, I'll tell you who I voted for after the fact. I I mean, there's no, 
I, I don't find that there's any reason for me to not disclose that. And if I like a candidate um, in a general election more than another, then absolutely I will let you know that. But in, in the party primary stuff, I'm not a member of the party, so I don't get to choose that. Right. I mean, I I do get to vote in those elections, but I don't make endorsements. I'm not going to come out and say you should go vote for this person in a primary. I I, I just don't do it. It's not worth it for me. Now, in a general election, then I, I will tell people, like, I prefer this one over the other. But I still don't really ever tell anybody you should go vote for that person. I just let them know, like, this is my view on their candidacy. I think they're the better the better option. Um. You can play it like that and then rip on the people that you want to rip on, you know? You don't have to, like, withhold fire if you think someone's a terrible candidate or is going to be a terrible elected official. You can fire away without having to say, I endorse this one other candidate and no one else. So there's a middle path there. Now, does Trump take it? I don't think so. Great question from the North Carolina Republican Party on Twitter asking the governor, if you support school choice, do you support it enough to actually post the proclamation for school choice week, which is this week? Do you do you support it enough to post it on the website, the governor's website? It's not up there. <laughs> he issued this proclamation last week. I was as surprised as anybody. I I've been following Cooper for a long time. I know he's not a school choice fan. He's an opponent of the uh, school vouchers. And he, they, the governor's office put out a proclamation for school choice week, recognizing it, celebrating it. And everybody was kind of like, what? Roy Cooper's office did that? But it's not on the website. So now this raises the possibility that somebody on his staff put it out and did it by mistake. Maybe somebody could ask him about that. WRAL, new hire, Brian Anderson. WRAL, TV station in Raleigh, does political reporting. Um, and they've got their you know capital press uh, group that... Um, so it was uh, Laura Leslie, Travis Fain, and now they picked up Brian Anderson. He was from the Associated Press, uh, part of the, um, what was it, like uh, America Reports or Ameriports, or I, I forget the name of it. Um, and uh, so it was like some sort of a, like a, it's a, like a nonprofit, and they put, you know, journalists into newsrooms to help them support local journalism and all of that. And so Brian Anderson uh, went over from the AP, and he now uh, made it over to, W-R-A-L. Landed himself a gig there. And I've been listening to Brian's uh, questions to the governor during the COVID briefings for the last, you know, two years. And uh, not, well, I'm trying, he's a, he's a young reporter, so look, he's going to make mistakes, I get it. Um, and uh, But I always, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. You know me. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. And so I didn't want to ascribe motive to what he was saying or anything. But he was asking a lot, over the course of the pandemic, he's been asking a lot of questions that some might say can be interpreted as in the vein of lock us down harder. Why aren't you doing more mask mandates, Right. He kind of gave off that vibe. Some reporters 
gave it off very clearly like you could hear them talking and you could hear the, the tone of voice and the way they framed their question it was very clear that they just think we need to mask harder and uh, lock down harder and that will get rid of the pandemic and otherwise we're all going to die and uh, brian anderson was not that overt but i have my doubts now so here's the story that he did what's today the 24th yesterday headline north carolina government workers take up inflated share of available tests inflated share an inflated share i have never seen this word used inflated and maybe i nitpick a little bit on this stuff but i was a wordsmith for a long time so uh look journalists and editors the people that you know write these headlines up and stuff they are wordsmiths they choose words And when they choose words, we should assume that they meant to choose that specific word. Unless they come back and say, our bad on that, right? An inflated share of available tests. What does that mean? It means a disproportionate share. That North Carolina state workers are using more tests, more COVID tests, than their number would otherwise be proportionate to for the general population. Does that make sense? You got ten and a half million North Carolinians, and if you've got you know one percent of them make up uh, the total state workforce, then you would expect that only one percent of the tests would go to state workers, right? That would be a proportionate kind of relationship. But they take more tests than their numbers would proportionately indicate, and so therefore he says it's an inflated share. Now, mind you. I've never seen this word used to describe any other disproportionate kind of relationship. Maybe I've just missed it, but oh, wait, let's just take a, uh, well, how about that? just a random topic? Crime. How about crime? Is there a disproportionate, or dare I call it an inflated share, if you will, metric that we could apply in crime? Could you do something like that? Would you ever see that as an inflated share? Eh, probably not. It's an overrepresentation. Maybe. I don't even know if you see these stories any longer. I don't. And I follow the news pretty closely. Anyway, government employees, Brian Anderson tells us at WRAL, across the state are taking an outsized share of COVID-19 tests at a time when supplies are limited and long lines are forming outside testing centers. These monsters. Now, 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 wait a minute. It's it's not like what it seems like here. Brian Anderson is not some sort of anti-government libertarian. Come on. He's not making this argument that those evil, bad, terrible government employees are just taking too many COVID tests or that they're, you know, riddled with anxiety or something and that's why they keep you know over testing themselves no 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 no. that's not the reason here the purpose of this examination of the inflated share or the outsized share of tests no it has to do with vaccination status news talk 1110 and 993 wbt brian anderson at the wral with the big story on how the government workers are using more than their fair share of the COVID tests. And the reason why? Not because government workers are, you know, just like paranoid neurotics or anything. No, no, no. It's not that it's not that they have a 
you know, a misplaced sense of risk or anything like that. And it's definitely not the policy that Governor Cooper put in place that requires them to get all of the testing. That definitely is not it. No, no, it's that they are not vaccinated sufficiently. The monsters, see, that's the problem. There's not enough of them that are vaccinated. And if they would just get vaccinated, then they wouldn't be taking up your COVID test. In many instances, state employees are paid to leave the office to get tested during their work hours under HR policies, causing scheduling disruptions. Yeah, well, this is what we told you was going to happen when you start mandating vaccines. When you start mandating these medical treatments, uh, you have to provide people some sort of accommodation to go do it. And they didn't want to start firing everybody. This is part of the problem is when you start firing everybody for not getting the shot, then you start to have staffing shortages, right? The mandate that Cooper issued last year calls for state employees to be tested weekly if they are not fully vaccinated, whatever that means nowadays. This has prompted more than 10,000 state cabinet-level workers to take a take up a disproportionate share of resources, according to data from the North Carolina Office of State and Human uh, of State Human Resources. By the way, it's transportation department workers and prison workers that are uh, the most uh, resource gobbling hoarders. <laughs> Do you see how easy it is to make the transition? from a government-run healthcare system to a government that controls everything about your life. This is the very thing. When we were having the debate about Obamacare and the, 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 the gradualism, although you know, the Affordable Care Act sought a massive uh, uh, you know, gobbling up of the, uh, of the uh, health industry sector. So uh, this, this idea, though, that the government would be more and more in charge of more and more areas of health care and you know, by way of insurance, that when you put government in charge of these things, you put the state in charge of these things, you then create political calculations for how decisions get made. And that's what Brian Anderson is doing in his story here. He's trying to direct, and this is one of the things, by the way, that a lot of people in media, they pretend that, oh, I'm just here to document from the sidelines. I'm not interested in being the story. It's one of my biggest beefs with people in media is that they deny the most obvious thing about the work that they do, which is that they are part of the process. They are part of the story. They are. The mere fact that you are there before you even do a story, just your presence alone affects the outcome of the event. Simply showing up. You know how many stories that I have not done but I influenced just by being there, attended a court hearing or two off the top of my head, called a landlord that had evicted somebody, right? You, you, simply making some phone calls prompts people to change course, make different decisions, to react in certain ways. You are part of that story. So Brian Anderson is part of this story. Brian Anderson is doing a story talking about how these state workers, particularly in transportation and prisons, um, are not 
as vaccinated as other people in state government. So therefore, because the governor's rule says they have to test every week, they're using a lot of tests. Gosh, who would have thought that might happen? Me and everybody else that, you know, has half of a brain. So we knew that this was going to put pressure on testing supplies, obviously. So and then, of course, you told everybody to go out and get tested before Christmas. So then what happens? Everybody rushes out to get the tests. And then what happens? Oh, look at that. We don't have enough tests for everybody. So now you get Brian Anderson coming in and saying what? Well, you know, they're taking more than their fair share. How does one determine fair share? Well, whatever way you determine it, I could tell you where it ends. It ends with the forcing of these people to go out and get vaccinated, to go out and get the shots. That's that's where the push goes. You got people who said they said, you know what? I don't want to get the shot. I'm going to go ahead and do the weekly testing. And so they've made that decision. And now they're getting this kind of coverage from the uh, WRAL TV about how they're using up all the tests. And look at me. You're, or, you, I, I'm sick and you're sick and you just don't want to see grandma. But you can't get the test to go see grandma or else you're going to kill grandma. So it's basically like those transportation department workers killed your grandma. I mean, she's not dead or anything, but it's like it, it is like she is. County and municipal governments implementing their own mandates are also exhausting public health supplies. The 10,300 state workers tested weekly under Cooper's directive represent less than 0.01% of North Carolina's 10.5 million residents. But they took 1.4% of the tests. Just outrageous. It's just outrageous. 0.01% of the population taking 1% of the tests. I think we just need to go and uh, just tackle them in the lunch break room and just start uh, jamming them uh, with the uh, with the shots. I mean, it's 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 for the community, you know. It's for it's for the common good, don't you think? The testing rate accounted for a uh, 14, 17, 22 fold overrepresentation in the three weeks. Ooh, big numbers! See, big numbers. That's gosh, that's really scary. 14-fold over-representation? Oh, my gosh. Right, but a lot of other places don't require this kind of policy. you got a lot of small businesses. They're not bound by any kind of rules. If they choose to do a mandate, they can. It's up to them. The numbers would be smaller if employees chose to comply with Cooper's directive by receiving vaccinations. So in case you could not detect the point, this story is about how the numbers would be lower if only they would do what Cooper told them to do. If only you would comply, I wouldn't have to be doing this story. North Carolina health officials note the share of state workers being tested is still small compared to the overall state population. The state health department said it's working to ramp up testing after telling everybody to get tested and not having enough tests to accommodate all of the ramped up testing. Now they're like, we're totally working on the ramping up the testing. See, so rather than rather than ask who is to blame for, you know, why you told everybody to go out and get tested and why you didn't have all the tests necessary to meet that increased demand. No, no, no. Let's drag the state workers who haven't gotten all of the shots And let's blame them 
for not having enough, enough tests. Again, I try not to ascribe motive to people when they make certain arguments. I just try to dismantle their argument. But this piece at WRAL, uh, I mean, it's kind of obvious in its obviousness. To me, at least. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. One last segment here. Um, looking at WRAL's story. Government employees across the state are taking an outsized share of COVID-19 tests. At a time when supplies are limited and long lines are forming outside testing centers. Once again, government also told people to go get tested before Christmas. Right? DHHS said everybody should go do that. So that obviously helped. Also, Omicron. It's way more transmissible. So people are wanting to get more tests. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And when you push a big testing program, you should expect to see uh, the result of people asking for more tests. Uh, let me go over here to the phones and get Jack on before the end of the uh, program. Hello, Jack. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, hey Pete. How are you doing today, man? Hey, I'm good. So uh, what's the... Uh, well, take your shot. Let's hear your accusation. <laughs> There's no accusation. It's just that uh, I heard you talking about the governor's mandate for the vaccines and the testing. Yeah. But you actually work for a company that mandates True. that you uh, take the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And I haven't heard you. I haven't heard you complain about WBT's policy. And I don't know. Has there been a mass exodus of people leaving the company because of the mandate? So that no, there hasn't been a mass exodus of people leaving uh, the company, as far as I know, because it's not a WBT mandate. It's uh, corporate up the chain, first off. So it's not WBT, it's the uh, corporate ownership that did it. Um, mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, I have actually talked about it uh, frequently. I've mentioned it. Number three, I'm vaccinated, so it didn't matter to me because I was already vaccinated when I signed up and started working here. And then they put that in place, so it didn't apply to me because it already did apply to me, right? So okay. there was that. Um, so I'm not really sure what was the what exactly is the accusation that you want to level. Well, I hear you constantly talking about against these mandates, and you yes. work for a corporation, maybe yeah. not the company, but you work for a corporation that mandates that you take the vaccine. Right. Yeah. So that's your your own company is mandating it. And so what you're saying, I'm not allowed to be opposed to that. So so why can't the governor have the same opinion that your corporation has? Apparently, did I say does. that? Wait, there, did there. I say that the governor can't have the same opinion that the corporate lawyers have? I didn't say lawyers. I said your company or the company, uh, whatever. I mean, we all know where these mandates. No, hang on, but Jack, we all know where the mandates come from, right? They come from the legal departments, right? Sure. So, so if that's the, I, I've made no argument that the governor can't share an opinion with any corporate leaders or law department or legal departments or anything. So what exactly is the accusation? But there are a great many people who believe the mandates are working and it's a good thing. So I think your your negative yeah. comments regarding I think your your comments regarding the the the, the negative aspects of the mandates are, are are not that great. Oh no. That's Darn my it. Opinion. That's my opinion, Pete. Darn it, Jack. Man, I really I didn't convince you on any of that, huh? No, I haven't convinced no. you on, on on rethinking or taking another look at the mandates or anything like that. It would, just n- no ability whatsoever to convince you. I think they're working, man. I, you I think they're working? Governor, so how are they? So let me that. ask you: How do you know that they're working? I, I said I feel they're working. I don't know. For no, sure, you didn't say. You I said you think they're working. So you all right? So you feel that? Okay. So I will tell you what my philosophy professor used to tell me back in college, which is: you, know, you don't feel, you think. 
You were right the first time when you said you think they're working. You should be thinking about this stuff, not feeling about this stuff, because when making rational decisions, you should use logic, not feelings. And so if you think they're working, what is that based on? But neither you or I have a doctor, a doctor's degree. Doesn't matter. I took, I took, I took the vaccine, uh, Pete, because I asked my doctor. Mm-hmm. He said, "Take the shots," and mm-hmm. I followed his advice, and I feel Fine. good about it. So, good. so, so it's not for you and I to make those decisions. We can have our own personal. No, it is. It say. absolutely is. Hang but, on, now, Jack. Now, hang on. Th- this isn't exactly. Uh, uh, that's not the same argument. You're conflating two different things. You are conflating your personal decision to get the vaccine with a mandate that others do the same. Those are different things, right? One is your freedom to choose, and the other is the absence of a freedom to choose. You see that? I see your point, but yeah. I think the so, are- I had so here's so here's the deal. I had when I when I came to WBT, I had the choice as to whether or not to uh uh, to stay on or take the job because I was already vaccinated. I had the choice of whether or not I wanted to do this. I chose to do this. I had a so vaccine. I have a question. Yeah, so go ahead. What? I'm vaccine. still waiting for like, I feel like you, I feel like you're circling a gotcha. Aha. Like you think no, you've got me on you. something. I'm asking your opinion. Why did you take the vaccine? I've, I've explained this many times over the last uh, six months since I've been here. Many, many, many times. I'll tell you. No, Jack, I'm going to, Jack, I'm going to tell you, Jack, I'm going to tell you again. This is, but, because remember when you said how, you called in and said that I don't say these things. And I'm just pushing back that, yes, I do say these things. And I've been saying them for six months. Just because you didn't hear me say them doesn't mean I didn't say them. So what I have been saying, and I have said repeatedly, is that I made a risk assessment based on my comorbidities and what I knew about the vaccine. That was my decision to make, just like you made your decision. And I support you making whatever decision you wanted to make. I made them, and I would still make that same decision knowing what I know now, by the way. Would still make the same choice because of the comorbidity issue. But that doesn't mean I can tell other people that they need to make that same decision for themselves because I don't know what their medical conditions are. But you can suggest it. You can't tell them. But Why? You can so, all right. So who am I suggesting it to? You know, all of us. I mean, Why? what do you mean? Who are you suggesting? I couldn't to? convince. Now, hang on, Jack. You just <laughs> said that I couldn't convince you to think about the vaccines differently. So why do you think me telling somebody to go get them is going to prompt them to think differently about getting them? That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting right. So, question. So on the, one hand, you, on the one hand, I'm really, really persuasive, but on the other hand, I'm not. Right? You can't have this both ways, man. All I'm saying is, this was my choice, you made your choice. I don't see any conflict rationally, logically, ethically i don't see any conflict with saying you can make your choice i can make my choice but we should not be forcing our decisions onto other people when we don't know what their conditions are did did you express that opinion to your corporate people i i did as a matter of fact but you don't care about jack but let's be honest you don't really care about that you're just trying you're no jack you don't you're just you're trying to you're trying to play gotcha with me i understand what you're doing it's fine i'm not trying to get you of course you are you think you you think you you think you got like a point here that you're going to get me that oh i'm a hypocrite but i'm i'm not acting like a hypocrite here i'm actually being very consistent and i understand that that might be problematic in this conversation but no i've i've been upfront and clear about all of this i've had talks with my boss about it absolutely that, I mean, that's how I approach this stuff. It's easier to keep stuff straight when you just, you know, have one story. And you're not lying about stuff. You know, you know, deal in bad faith. Kind of like you did with the call. All right. 
But I appreciate it. Always good to spar with you, Jack. Red Winterbull's coming up next. Stay tuned. We'll talk with you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 